When I was about 22 years old, uh, I started having uh, weekly breakfast meetings with uh, a fellow, a friend of mine who was a Seventh-day Adventist. And um, if you don't know what Seventh-day Adventists are, you'll get to, to learn a little bit about that this morning. Uh, in these conversations, we would often end up talking about faith and the Lord and what the Lord means to us, what a relationship with the Lord is, which is great, but then every single conversation would always turn to um, him putting me in a position where, where I'm forced to ask a question or answer a question, and that question is, do I honor God's Sabbath? Um, for Seventh-day Adventists, they maintain the original Jewish Sabbath, sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. That is the day that the church is primarily supposed to gather. Not that the church can't gather on other days, but that uh, the special day for the Lord is on Saturday, uh, that you are to not do any other kind of work on that day. You simply focus on the Lord and your relationship with him. You, uh, it's a system for your family, right? So he would often put me in positions of um, having to, to be, for, like forcing me to admit or trying to force me to admit that I was wrong about the way that I would do this. And he would take scripture and try to prove to me, hey, you're not honoring the Sabbath and you are in sin because you're not doing this. And uh, sometimes it wasn't even that you are in sin, but you might not actually be a Christian because you don't do this. And, um, and I... I was secure in Christ. Like, I knew what Christ had done for me. I knew what Jesus had accomplished, but I did not have the ability. Like, I entered this crisis where um, I really wished that I was able to have a conversation with this guy on, the, on his level about these ideas of the Sabbath and whether or not we have to keep it because he would say, well, the Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments are God's law. In fact, they're, they're God's moral law. Not He would say that they're God's moral law not just for Israel, but that they're God's moral law for all of the ages. And as a result, why can you obey the other nine commandments and not obey this commandment? And I, I unfortunately rarely had a good answer for him. And it's funny, you know, some studies are, have been done on people and what they think the Ten Commandments are. And oftentimes, people will insert the golden rule as one of the Ten Commandments. So do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And they, many people will, will forget to mention the Sabbath as one of the Ten Commandments because we don't understand the meaning that, that it has. And so it's just really interesting. So I want to I, I get back to this idea because... My hope this morning is that today as we deal with this command about the Sabbath that, that we'll actually discover what God's heart is behind the Sabbath command. That uh, we'll discover more than a specific command about a specific time and a specific place in history. Uh, that we'll actually see there is something about God's person and God's heart behind this command and that would be revealed to us that we could understand what God was really doing when he extended the Sabbath to his people. So uh, we are in this series on the Ten Commandments and uh, each of these weeks we have been looking at bigger principles behind these moral commands that God gives, his standards, his rules and uh, interestingly enough like the the, the Ten Commandments are not just right and good because God said. Now, now uh, don't mishear me on this. God, if God says it, it is right and good. But when God gives us the Ten Commandments, they are right and good because he said it, but also because they happen to be the best thing for our souls. The principles behind the Ten Commandments actually happen to be the best thing for humans to carry out. Like, it's as if God actually created human beings and had an intention for a way that they would live. And so when he gives the Ten Commandments, like, yes, we should live the principles behind them because they are what God wants and it's what God spoke, but also they just so happen to be the best thing for us. Like who, like who would think that the creator of human beings would actually give rules and, and laws and boundaries that were built to help human be beings flourish and function the way that they were designed to flourish and function? 
right? So, so then with all of that being said, the question that we have to ask this morning is what does a command about Sabbath have to do with how God designed us, right? And that's kind of the, the, the thought process that we're gonna move forward with this morning. So just, just a note, as we head into this fourth commandment, this is both the pinnacle of the first table of the commandments, and it is the longest commandment in the Ten Commandments. So uh, just, just the way Hebrew people write things. Uh, they build up to a point, and they emphasize that point, but then also, uh, when, when a, a Hebrew person, they're writing something, and they, they write a little bit about this, and a little bit about this, and a little bit about this, and then a lot about this, it's as if they're really saying, hey, pay attention to this specific thing, right? So this is the longest commandment in the Ten Commandments, and, and it starts like this in Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So an Israelite Sabbath was, as I said earlier, at sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, and God gives this commandment about ceasing work, about stopping. This commandment is actually given in light of a practice that has already been established for Israel, not when they were in Egypt and not before Egypt, but, but God, as he is taking them through the wilderness, has actually already established the practice that he's talking about. So when he says, the Sabbath day, he's not talking about some ethereal thing that they should just know about, right? They have no context for knowing about this thing unless God gives them the context. And before they ever get to Mount Sinai, before they ever get to meeting with God, God gives them context. He actually gives them a command in Exodus 16, 26. Before they get there, he says, six days you shall gather it. This is the flaky substance, the manna, the what is it that God has provided. This is how God is feeding his people. And God has set it up so that six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So it's funny. Uh, if you gathered, say, like on a Tuesday, and you wanted to gather extra on a Tuesday, the, the extra that you gathered for the next day, it would uh, get warms, it would fall apart, like it would not be good. But on Friday, if you gathered extra before your Sabbath on Saturday, then it would be perfectly preserved to give you what you needed those days that followed. And the idea that he's being established here is there is a day of ceasing. Right? There is a day where we don't do anything and where you just simply recognize God is providing for you. Right? So this, this pattern was already established for them. So when now Moses puts it into law, it's referencing this specific thing that they've been experiencing. So I just want you to notice two things about this pattern. Number one, this pattern was a gift. This pattern was a gift. As much as they may have resisted the pattern, like before we actually see them complaining about the pattern, we see them uh, trying to find ways around the pattern, but, but the reality is, is that this, this actually for Israel established a smaller block of time by which to order their lives, which you couldn't find in the stars. Right. What can you find in the stars? Well, you can find uh, the span of a month in the stars if you watch the moon. Uh, you can find the span of a year in the stars as you watch the way that the earth and the, the stars kind of rotate. But you can't actually measure a week by the stars. Right? You don't have anything to measure a smaller block of time. And so God actually gives them this structure that they would have had no context for otherwise. He gives them this week and a day to rest on it. Like, imagine if we didn't have weeks today. If all we had to, like, measure our lives by was, like, the moon and the stars, we wouldn't have the gift of a weekend, right? But God establishes this in creation and gives this gift to Israel this time to rest. So that's the first thing to notice. The pattern was a gift. And the second thing to notice is the pattern reoriented their attention to the giver. Right, so it refocused their attention that even when they would stop working and doing and creating and enforcing and producing, that God would still be giving and taking care of them. So then um, he goes on in verses 9 and 10 of Exodus 20 and 
says this, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. So just three observations to note here. First of all, Yahweh expects his people to work. Right? He has the full expectation that they are people who will work. In fact, the, the work kind of comes naturally to these people because they've been forced to work for the last 400 years, right? But, uh, but the, he does have the expectation that they would actually do something. Like he's, the Sabbath command is not a call to be lazy. It is a, a recognition that the natural pattern of life is to work and shape and create and produce, right? Like this is, this is how human beings are called to operate. And God set this up in creation, right? He, he gave human beings work to do. Like work is good and right. Work is not a result of the fall. Now work is harder because of the fall. Work has a lot of challenges because of the fall, but work is actually good and right and holy. Like God has called us to this thing. And so like if you are inclined to look at uh, the command about Sabbath and says, yeah, God just wants me to take it easy. Like, no, in fact, like the, the foundation of the Sabbath assumes that you are actually gonna be working really hard with the rest of your life. So, so take that um, and then just take it this into mind as we consider the next thing to notice. While work is good and right, work that is endless without real rest and refreshment will ultimately end up crushing your body and your soul. So then the second thing to notice, the second observation is that Yahweh expects them to stop and refocus Right, so, so on the Sabbath day, Israel would institute uh, individual and corporate practices of worship. They would have conversation and prayer around their family dinner tables that is not filled with the normal things of their week-to-week practices, uh, but is filled with this time where they stop and they are reorienting their attention. They, it, it was intended to be filled with stories about Yahweh's works and the good things that he does. It was intended for them to, to spend time reorienting their attention to where their attention truly belongs. So, so Yahweh expects them to stop and refocus. The third thing to notice is that Yahweh expects the involvement of each household. Right, So he gives commands actually not related just to the individual, but to their households, to their male servants, their female servants, the animals that they owned and took care of. Right, This extends to the household. And why is this important? Because if your household is not aligned in how you practice it, it actually creates a system that is not going to be practicing the Sabbath. Like if you have four people in a house trying to practice Sabbath and one of those people is not practicing Sabbath, it disrupts the entire system, right? So, so he, uh, he implemented this into every corner of society. And you know what? Everyone needed to work together. Individual households would need to get together and figure out, hey, how are we gonna implement God's Sabbath here? Everybody needed awareness of how it was gonna go. Um, households would be organized. They would organize their life around this principle. And so essentially they would say, what do we have to do so that on Saturday, we have this opportunity to stop and refocus. So, so it required the involvement of the household. So for what it's worth, it's rare in the Ten Commandments that Yahweh provides an explicit reason for his command, but he does with this one. So then uh, in Exodus twenty eleven, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, so what is the seventh day of creation for God? God makes everything. God makes everything and then he takes this day of rest. So what is that seventh day? What happened the day before the seventh day? On the day before the seventh day, God created man. And then on the seventh day, he rests, which means 
that Adam's first full day of life was a day of rest. A day. Like, why would God possibly do this? That the first day Adam is alive, he doesn't need to learn the ropes. He, he doesn't need to uh, figure out how everything should work together. The first day of Adam's life is a day where he's just gonna hang out with God. Like, they're just gonna spend time together. Right, so, so his first full day with man, this day that he rests, is all about relationship. So from the beginning, God, uh, we see it in the garden, we see it initially, and then we see it kind of run its pattern throughout creation. And then especially in Israel, he institutes this rule. God wired creation to function like this. He created us with finite bodies so that in our regular pattern, we would actually have to stop and be with him and let him then be our source of life. Let him be the one who would provide for us. And then he gives this rule to Israel and he says, now you need to actually practice it. So what would their Sabbath look like? And uh, just taking off from what we've read so far, I want to give three key elements of what their Sabbath would look like. Number one, they were to stop to Yahweh. So notice that every command given is actually given with a direction to it. It's given with a purpose. So the first thing that they needed to do was to stop. The word Sabbath literally means cease. It means stop everything else. Stop producing. Stop even providing in this day, right? You're going to be inclined to have a flurry of activity, uh, just massive things that you feel like you need to take care of, and you need to know one thing on one day that you can stop because your heavenly Father is going to take care of you. Be still and simply know that your God wants attention and affection and relationship with you, and that as you stop, he will manage all of your cares. So number one, stop. Number two, refresh to Yahweh. So it says that uh, they are called to rest. It shall be a day of rest. Uh, In the, the Genesis passage, it says that God rested on the seventh day. All of these reflect the idea that there is not just a stopping, but there is a refreshment. Uh, Exodus 31, 17 points to this refreshment. It's talking about the Sabbath day, and it said, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Like, in this day, as, as God rests, there is this rejuve, it speaks of this rejuvenation of his spirit, of his soul, and the intention is that this day would be a day not only of stopping other things so that we can just start them again tomorrow, but that it would actually be a day to kind of fill our tanks. So what did they do on this day? Like, they prayed together. They heard scripture. They heard God's words together. They would have sang together. They would have sacrificed together. Now, now the, at the very beginning of this implementation, like they didn't have all of these tools, right? They developed over time. But, but there were these actions that they took that were meant to direct their hearts toward the Lord. And, and it took the time to actually reset, uh, refocus their attention. And, and the point is like resetting with our creator, stopping everything else and then making him the sole focus of our attention should actually fill our tanks up. It should, it should rejuvenate us. It should refresh us to then go back into carrying out the things that he has called us to carry out. Number three, delight to Yahweh. So uh, after God finishes creating everything, in six days, right before he goes into the seventh day, he says a phrase, it was very good. And that is the thing that sends him into his day of rest. And this pattern was, the, the intention is that this pattern of delighting, of, of delighting in God's people, of delighting in just people who are made in the image of God, of delighting in fun, 
that God creates. Like people think of the idea of Sabbath and oh, I have to have this like somber, like go to church and like really make sure my attention is in the right place and I have to be really sad about my sin and I have to do, like no, God created fun, right? God created uh, presence with each other presence to him, being present to the things around us, like uh, being present to the fact that even though I despise snow, it looks amazing, like it looks beautiful, right? I can be present to that reality, right? And recognizing that, that all of life, everything that we have, even when things might be hard, Yahweh gives us gifts, right? And, and these are, are things that we're not supposed to miss, and Sabbath forces us to slow down so that we don't miss them. We see the gifts that our Creator has given us. So Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 points to this intention that God has. In verse 13 it says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, right? So, so right now what they're doing is they're kind of taking the Sabbath for their own, doing whatever they want to do. God's calling a correction to them. And he's saying, call the Sabbath a delight. Like your problem is, is you've turned the Sabbath into something that it's not meant to be, but make it a delight. And then verse 14, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Sabbath was created, not just as this recognition of relationship, but for us to find deep joy and delight in our relationship with God. So the command then to Israel is this. Israel, stop weekly to refresh and delight in Yahweh. That's what you're called to do. Stop weekly to refresh and delight in Yahweh. So just a note, the Sabbath is actually the only positive command that Israel has in the Ten Commandments for relating to God. Every other command is something that they are not supposed to do, something that they are supposed to understand about God. This command gives them something to do, right? So as we think about religious practice and the way things should be described, God says, well, there are a bunch of things that you should not do, but here is the thing that you do. In in my 10 commandments, my 10 rules, which they will extrapolate the rest of the law from these 10 rules, God will give them commands that are based on this foundation. Out of all of those 10, there is this positive action. Uh, So Israel, do you want to know how to express your relationship to me? Then it is through the keeping of the Sabbath. Right? You recognize and remember and pursue relationship with me. Like This is their primary relational tool that they have to express relationship with Yahweh. This is their primary practice of relating to God. So what a gift is that? Like the primary means of them relating to God is given to them in light of their limits. Like, they, they have limitations on their physical bodies, they have limitations on their mind, they have limitations on their soul. So God says, you know what, I'm going to stop everything so that you can simply enjoy me. You know what, what so like, let's think about Egypt for a second. What did Egypt do to them? Egypt worked them to the bone. Like, they were moving ceaselessly always working and then working harder and harder as we read the story of the Israelites in Egypt. And they might, because of their upbringing in Egypt, they might be inclined to think that this is what makes a great nation. That you produce and produce and produce and you never stop producing. That you work your country to the bone, you work your slaves to the bone, you work the servants to the bone, because this is what makes a country great, because Egypt was the greatest country in the land. And so as they start to be a new nation, they might be inclined to think, hey, we produce, we produce, we produce, and that is how we build a great nation. Hey, you want to build a successful business in America? Do you know how you do it? You sacrifice all of your time and your family and your life for three years and you pursue relentlessly an entrepreneurial uh, fervor and you work and you produce 
until you uh, just are hoping that it is able to take off. Sabbath combats those tendencies inside of us and those messages by actually, for Israel, enforcing limits that were already designed by God. So it's like God saying, you know what, I know, I know you didn't get the project done uh, by the certain amount of time that you were trying to get it done, but hey, here's a day, and what you need to do is you need to simply rest with me. Even though it's not done, you need to simply rest with me. I know that there's still more that you can accomplish. There's always more that you can accomplish, but, but you know what's most needful is for you to be with me. Like, I know you see the life that you can make for yourself, the life that you hope to build. But if Israel, if Israel in the the process of building your nation, you refuse to make space for me, then the finished product of your nation will be a place that has no space for me. If in the building of your life you refuse to make space for me, then the finished product of your life will be a place that has no space for me. If in the building of your profession you refuse to make space for me, then the the finished product will be something that has no place for me in it. If in the building and raising of your kids and pursuing the best life for them, you refuse to make space for me, then you will create kids who have no space for me. So this is what Sabbath practice does. Sabbath practice confronts the lie that I build my worth through accomplishment. Sabbath practice confronts the lie that I build my worth through accomplishment. So he's saying, Israel, simply stop and refresh and delight in everything that I have already given you. So Sabbath was this positive practice given to them to relate to God, and and actually as a result of that, like they have this now positive practice, they have this means by which they are able to relate to God, as a result, Sabbath then became the marker of their relationship with God. It became the way that they identified that they were in covenant with God. So Exodus 31, 12 through 14 says this, the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Four, this is a sign between you and me throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Here's what he's saying. This Sabbath was a a mark. So so the the Ten Commandments and then the the commands that follow, these are the Mosaic Covenant, right? The the Mosaic Covenant. God is, uh, and a covenant is God's means of establishing a relationship with his people. Last week we talked about covenant and how covenant is essentially like marriage. And if covenant is like a marriage then for God's people, Sabbath is like the wedding ring, right? Like it is the thing that marks their relationship, that their generation shall know that they are in relationship with God, that that the, the nations around them shall know that they are in relationship with God because they keep the Sabbath. So then in Numbers 15, we read this really hard story that it is hard for us to comprehend uh, where this guy goes out and gathers sticks on the Sabbath. And when he goes out and gathers sticks on the Sabbath, we recognize he broke Sabbath command. And the Lord commands Moses and the entire assembly of Israel to actually put that man to death because he broke the Sabbath command. And we're sitting here going, but it's just a day. Like, what's the deal? Well, he was deliberately preparing to build a fire, knowing that it was in violation of this Sabbath command. The deeper meaning behind what he did was this. He was deciding, when he chose to not fulfill the Sabbath, he was deciding that his covenant to God, his relationship with God as an Israelite did not matter. He was essentially taking the wedding ring off and throwing it on the floor and saying, no, thank you. He's saying, God's relationship to me is meaningless and unimportant. And the result then is, 
Like God had to show, no, I care about this. The death penalty is here because you, Israel, were made for relationship with me. So Sabbath keeping was important not only as a function, but it actually served as the identifying sign of relationship between Israel and Yahweh. It would be this unique cultural sign to the nations, and it would be a constant reminder, like you want to ingrain something in your children and your children's children and your children's children, you are going to work your relationship with God into your calendar. It will be a permanent stay. It will shape them for years to come. They will know that you will set aside even the most important tasks that you have to accomplish for relationship with him. So, okay, so at this point then, we need to ask a question. And it's a question that perhaps has already come up in your mind. If this is what Sabbath was for, for Israel, if this is what God intended, we're not Israel, right? We are Christians on this side of what Jesus has accomplished for us. So the question that is probably in your mind is this. Must Christians keep the seventh day? And I just want you to know, that question is founded on faulty grounds. Because it misunderstands what the gospel is trying to accomplish inside of us. Like, so because Jesus, Jesus came and he brought the law to us and he showed us that the whole purpose of the law was love. Love of God and love of neighbor. So let's take an example for this. The sixth commandment. Uh, Jesus, uh, the, 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 the Ten Commandments tell us that love of neighbor is about not murdering, right? He says, do not murder your neighbor. Uh, actually, what we discover is, so like, think about this for a second. So you're telling me, I can be most loving to my neighbor by just not murdering them. Like, that's, that's it? Right? That's what I have to do to fulfill the law? Well, goodness, I think I can handle that, right? Like, I actually feel, if you're talking to me, I have to, like, check off all 10, I feel pretty good. I've got one out of 10 by not murdering somebody. I'm doing all right. Like, if love of neighbor is about not murdering, then that's not, like, there's no love in not murdering. You have to tell somebody to not murder because they don't love people, right? So the, the, the commandment, what we discover from Jesus is, like I tell you, like you have heard it said, do not murder. I tell you that if you have animosity in your heart towards your brother, you've already murdered him, right? So, so inside your heart, it's actually about the command is not about not murdering. The command is about replacing the animosity that's inside of your heart with generosity, Right, so, so then Jesus is like, you know, I have to, when we see the Ten Commandments, what we realize is that they are given because of sin. Yes, they reveal to us God's principles, but, but not murder. It's pretty easy to not murder. You know why God has to tell them to not murder? It's because they're going to murder each other if he doesn't say it. So um, let's talk about the Sabbath command then. Sabbath command, love of God. Love of God is not about making sure that God gets his one day. Right, like we need to understand this. Love of God is not about making sure that God gets his one day. Uh, Love of God is actually about refreshing and delighting in God all the time. But if you really love God, you would actually orient all of your time to him. So can you imagine? But then God says, you got to give me a day, right? Like, can you imagine uh, Andrea uh, telling me, hey, Alex, I, I understand that you're trying to love me, and so this is what I really need from you. I need you to give me a day. Like, can you imagine that being our relationship? Like, that's, that's all you get. Like, we, we just get a, a day together to enjoy one another, to lighten one another. Like, what kind of, like, basis of a relationship? But God knows, God knows that they already don't love him. And as a result, he's trying to correct their unlove of him. He's trying to, to make sure that even when you don't love me, you still need to give me this day. So instead of asking, must I keep the day? When we come to the Ten Commandments, they actually should make us discover the problem is not that I do or do not keep a day. 
Like the problem is, God had to give a command to tell me to keep a day. God had to, to tell me this because he knows that I already don't love him. And, and then as I read that command and go, God, like God had to say this. Like there's a problem. God is trying to correct something inside of me. I might go, like, why don't I love God? Why don't I rest and delight in God? If he has to do so much as to even tell me to give him one day, there must be a problem with my soul. The Ten Commandments exist and they reveal to us all of these sort of warped things inside of us. And when God says, you gotta give me a day, the problem is, is that we don't give him any time. So it reveals the problem. It reveals that what's so, like, what's so wrong with me that my creator would say these words to me, I just need a day. And the command, actually, as we come to it, it should break us. Because we encounter the command, it should cause us to realize that we don't actually love God. God's heart is for us to love him, and we don't love him with our whole hearts. And then in our brokenness, we are invited to ask a question, how can I possibly hope to truly refresh and delight in God with all my days? Where is the hope for that? Enter Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and then he does a series of things. Number one, he showed us how to really love God with all of our time, right? He was an example for us. He showed us what it looked like to fulfill the law, not by just checking off boxes of the law, but to carry out the heart behind the law. He showed us what it looked like to love again and again and again. He showed us what it looked like to practice Sabbath, not just on one day. If you watch Jesus' life, Jesus practiced Sabbath all over his calendar, not just on one day. It gave himself. So So then he comes and he shows us, but then what does he do? He gives himself to die for our lack of love. Right? The, the, the Ten Commandments expose this problem that God was like having to put in place these correctives because we already don't love him. We already don't love our neighbor. So Jesus comes and gives us an example, but then he comes and dies in our place because of our lack of love for God and love for neighbor. And then what does he do? But he removes the judgment that was coming against us because of that lack of love. He takes that judgment on himself and stands in our place, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit as a mark of God's love for us, as a mark of our relationship with God. He says that we don't have to to perform certain laws and certain tasks to earn a relationship with God. We couldn't actually accomplish it. So here, take my righteousness upon you. I will take your unrighteousness. I will pay the price for it. I will give you my Holy Spirit to, to mark my relationship with you who will be with you all of your days as a helper. And so Hebrews 4.3 says this. He's talking to, to, to Jewish people. The writer is trying to convince Jewish people to believe in Jesus. And so he uses the illustration of the Sabbath, and this is what he says. He says, for we who have believed enter that rest. That rest, he's referring to the Sabbath, the intention of the Sabbath, the heart behind the Sabbath, that we would be people who actually have available to us the ability to relate to God all of our days and not just on one day. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Faith in Jesus is true Sabbath. Faith in Jesus is true Sabbath. If if the moral principle behind the Ten Commandments, behind the Sabbath command is, hey, you need to refresh and delight in God. You need to mark your relationship with God. Well, what does Jesus do? Like Jesus is the one who loves us to actually make it possible for us to love God back, right? Because when he dies for us and gives us the Holy Spirit, he now writes his, love, not, writes his law not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. He writes it on our very hearts. Jesus is the one who stops us in our patterns of moral performance, attempting to impress God and earn God's favor, and he offers us simple acceptance. 
Jesus makes it possible for us to approach God and actually be refreshed, not fearful of what he's going to do to us, not concerned about his judgment against us, but to be refreshed because Jesus has taken all of that and stands as an advocate for us between God and claiming that his righteousness rests on us, that we can be at rest in our Father's presence. Jesus makes it possible for us to spend even our hardest moments delighting in the fact that we have a Father who loves us regardless of all the activity and the flurry and the challenge of our life surrounding us. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit as a mark of our relationship with God. So then, Jesus, interestingly enough, he's talking to um, people about rest. And as we look at the story of Scripture, we come to see that Jesus himself is actually the rest. He says these words. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and in me you can find rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says these words, and he says, come, find rest for your souls in me. I am the Sabbath. So Jesus, so seventh-day practice, seventh-day practice in the Old Testament, it was a picture and a promise that God would make real, eternal rest and refreshment and delight in him actually possible. The Sabbath of the Old Testament, seventh-day practice, was a, a picture and a promise. It was a foretelling of what Jesus would do, and Jesus came and became the fulfillment of the promise. So go back to the wedding ring illustration. If we think about Sabbath being a wedding ring between Israel and God, we might better to think of it as an engagement ring. Right? So, so Israel's Sabbath as they practiced it, was actually an engagement ring for the whole, all the nations. As they were called to practice Sabbath, it was this mark of God is going to do something greater. God is going to do something better. God is going to bring his Messiah. And with that Messiah will come the flourishing of creation that was originally intended. Right, so, so, so Israel's Sabbath was like an engagement ring. And then faith in Jesus is like the arrival of the marriage. Like when we place our trust in Jesus, the the promise has now been fulfilled. The thing that was promised in Israel's practice of the Sabbath has now been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus and faith in him is true Sabbath. And Jesus gives us a love, actually, then, that would lead us to give God not just one day, but all of our days. So then Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says this. We get New Testament writers helping us understand what it is that Christ has accomplished. Verse 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath because these, they were a shadow. They were a prophecy. They were a foretelling of the things to come. But the substance, it belongs to Christ. Christ makes real the promise that was in those things. You have what was offered in those things all in Jesus. So that answers the question, or at least I hope it does, must we, must we practice the seventh day? Is the seventh day a law for us? No, the seventh day in Israel was a promise, a foretelling of what we would ultimately get when we place our trust in Jesus. So then we have to ask now another question after that, and that is this, what good is Sabbath practice for Christians? Because the, the moral principle of the Sabbath, it's completely covered in Jesus, right? So, so if you never take a Sabbath, I would say your act of never taking a Sabbath is not sin. Now, if you never take a Sabbath, that's going to create potential for all sorts of other sin in your life. But it would be a mistake for us to miss God's practical wisdom behind giving the Sabbath to his people. 
Like, while it is not sin for us to never take a Sabbath, God is actually like really wise in how he created people and what he commands for creation, and he actually has some, some good insight into what it is to flourish as a human being here. And I think we ought to see it. Because there's a question, and that question is this. What is still true about us, even though we've now entered into the true Sabbath of faith in Christ? Like, while we, we're kind of in this already not yet uh, phase where we have all of these promises now fully available to us, but the fruition of those promises does not come until Christ returns. So there is already something true about us that we are waiting still to see fully come about when Jesus returns. So what is still true about us in this period? Our bodies, minds, and souls still have limits on this side of glory. Like we still have the uh, massive potential to get distracted by a flurry of activity. We still have messages in our culture that are trying to convince us that our identity and our worth and our value is based on how much we can accomplish. And Christ has given us a place for our souls to rest and delight in him. But if we never actually intentionally take the time to make our soul stop running and refresh and delight in him, then we shouldn't be surprised if it feels like we're running on empty all the time. So we're going to talk this morning about what it could look like for Christians, for us, to practice a regular Sabbath. But I want to start, before we get into that, with two caveats. Number one, Sabbath is a life principle we attain to, not a day we check off. So, so we are the best versions of ourselves when we are operating out of a consistent place of refreshment and delight in the Lord and in what Jesus has accomplished for us. Like we don't do Sabbath to perform a religious function. If we practice Sabbath, we practice it because it shapes our souls more and more to be in a place of constantly refreshing and delighting in God. So, so I want Sabbath for you. Like, whoever is listening, I want Sabbath for you because it trains your soul to live in the rest that is already yours in Jesus. Not because I think it's important for you to accomplish the task, right? So, so that's the first caveat. The second caveat is this. When and how we practice Sabbath is an area of Christian liberty, Right, so, so my Seventh-day Adventist friend who was trying to convince me that I was in sin and that I was disobeying the Lord and that um, he convinced me, tried to convince me of a bunch of other things, like that is off limits. And for what it's worth, it's off limits for us to try to convince those who would practice the Sabbath to do otherwise as well. Right, uh, Romans 14, Paul says, you know, some of you esteem one day better than the other. Some of you esteem all days alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind and continue to live in unity with each other. So how, when and how we practice the Sabbath is an area of Christian liberty. So maybe you practice it on Saturday, maybe you practice it on Sunday. Sunday is a really convenient day for us because it happens to be the day that we worship together, right? Tuesday, maybe that's the day that you practice it. Maybe you're going to practice it one day. Maybe you're going to try to build up to practicing it with a half day, right? But then also, for what it's worth, like there are, there's the reality that we get like many Sabbaths built into our life too. Like you talk about having a, a morning time with the Lord. What is a morning time except trying to get your soul to rest and delight in Jesus, to stop? Like we watch Jesus do this as he takes time to get away with his father at random times, not necessarily on the Sabbath. He's taking time to, to rest and delight in his relationship with the father and live and work in his ministry out of that. Right, so how we practice it is an area of liberty, there are smaller forms uh, of, of practicing it. There, that you know, you could aim for a day too, and all of these things are good. So, with that framing our discussion or giving kind of some overarching caveats, I want to talk about how we might be able to practice Sabbath. So, um, the the phrase is "stop to refresh and delight in Yahweh." That's the principle that we're working from. So then I have four ways that we will carry that principle out. Number one, 
prepare to stop. So uh, the Israelites actually had a day called the Day of Preparation. And they have the Day of Preparation because they know it's actually really, really hard to put your life on hold for a day. And so they took the day of preparation to do whatever, uh, you know, collecting of food that they needed to do, whatever uh, cleaning they needed to do, whatever work that needed to be done to get ready to stop, they took care of that. So uh, I just encourage you, you know, in preparing to stop, for whatever this time is going to look like, uh, make a plan for that time. Uh, Make a plan to protect that time. Uh, Figure out how you're going to put boundaries around your technology for that time because technology has all sorts of ways of creeping in and bringing work back into places that we want to rest in, right? You don't have to to schedule out. I'm not saying like schedule out your entire time and what it's going to look like, but if you don't plan ahead, then what's going to happen is that other priorities can very easily creep in. So uh, number two, stop with purpose, So this is where you can get overly legalistic really quick, right? This is what uh, most Israelites leading up to the time of Jesus really focused on was how you stop. You have to stop in these series of ways. You can't spit on the ground because if it uh, rolls on the ground and then collects dust, it's like you're plowing the ground, right? That's problematic. So so, uh, it became more about the stopping and less about the heart behind it. So just, just note that. Uh, And then also note that Jesus said something like, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right, so so I wanna give you two categories for what it looks like to stop with purpose. In the Sabbath, God is giving you freedom to not produce anything. And God is giving you freedom to not provide anything. Because if you're spending your days producing and providing on this day, you recognize that you have one God who gives you everything and takes care of every need of yours. So I actually, for what it's worth, I might mow on the Sabbath. Or on my, if I'm, if I'm practicing Sabbath, I might choose to mow on that day. But do you know what I do my other six days? I spend time uh, in meetings with people. I spend time writing on my computer. I spend time sitting down at a desk, right? It is, uh, working outside is actually incredibly refreshing for my soul. And I'm able to take great delight in God with that. So, so how you stop, actually, you have a lot of flexibility, but I just wanna encourage you to, to stop your normal activity, to reorient activity that enables you to enjoy God. Um, the point is this, when I, when I leave what has to be done, and maybe you have 1,800 things that need to be done in your mind all the time, when I leave what needs to be done undone for a day, I acknowledge that God is sovereign over my life and my activities and not me. So uh, stop with purpose number three, refresh with Purpose. We might also say refocus or reset or simply rest, but the point of this is let God restore your soul. So, um, you know what, even if you serve at church, like I would tell you, like Sunday morning worship can be a crucial piece of your Sabbath, right? Because this is the time that we gather together to sing God's praises. This is the time that we hear from God's word. This is the time that we celebrate what it is that Jesus has accomplished for us together. Like the source of our being able to rest and refresh can exist on Sunday morning. So I want to like, challenge you, if you are rather inconsistent about your church attendance or rather inconsistent about, you know, uh, maybe you're missing out rather frequently on church, I just like what is restoring your soul? Like, I'm really curious, what's restoring your soul? What is giving you that place to refresh, right? Because one of the values of this time that we spend together, not only is it a command of the New Testament, but it is this place where we should come out of here feeling refreshed, that we have spent time with the Lord and the Lord's people, and we have heard him speak, and we have sung praises to him, and this is the grounding place of our identity. Right, so come to Sunday morning worship, refresh with purpose, right? Prayerfully reflect on your week. That's another way that you can refresh. 
Talk about blessings that the, that the Lord has just given you throughout your week that you may not realize until you take the time to reflect. Think about shortcomings, like your own personal shortcomings. And this is the hard part because when we talk about our shortcomings, it's like, oh, I'm supposed to feel guilty and I'm supposed to be really down. And like, yeah, okay, for a period of time, you might have a problem with your sin, but here's the reality. Every time you look at your sin, you get an opportunity to look at the amazing things that Jesus has accomplished to wipe you clean of your sin, right? So when you reflect on your shortcomings throughout the week, that is an opportunity for you to celebrate that Jesus has covered every piece of how you have failed. Receive God's promises for you as a gift, right? Spend some time in the word. Like recognizing what it is that God actually extends to us as Christians, as people who are called by the name of Christ. Maybe listen to the word. Um, maybe you read it there, holding it physically. Maybe you, um, you know, do a family devotional together. There are tons of options for how you can do this, but, but spend time receiving God's promises for you as a gift. And then uh, take a nap. Yeah, it's like a really simple way to be refreshed. Like you don't, you may not get much other time to take a nap. So enjoy a nap on your day of rest. And then number four. Number four, delight with purpose. So how can you do that? Well, you can be um, present to your moments. You know what? Every, every moment you have is rife with gifts from God. But the reality is, is your activity is moving so fast that often you do not recognize the gifts that exist there. Sabbath gives you permission to stop the activity and see the gifts. Appreciate the image of God in every person who crosses your path. Again, activity will cause you to not see people for who they are because you are so full with the next thing that you have to do. Sabbath gives you an opportunity to stop and value a person simply for who they are and who God made them to be, to see his image in them, to actually engage them in conversation, to be truly interested in them because that person is a gift from God. Appreciate the art of a movie Appreciate time together with a game. Listen to good music. Delight in the gifts that God has given you without worrying about what's not getting done while you are enjoying those things. So Sabbath, rather than a mere task, it can actually become a training ground for our souls. Because imagine what a person who is truly, constantly at rest and delighting in God could compel others who see a life lived like that to do and to believe. Imagine as you go around your neighbors and around those who don't know Jesus and you're connecting with them and what they witness inside of you is your life just filled with this place of resting in and delighting in your Creator. Not something that's manufactured, but something that has been shaped in your soul over time because you take God at his word. Okay, so what? So what? Uh, Number one is a caveat. Say maintain space for doing good. In Matthew 12, Jesus goes out. uh, He's gonna heal a man, uh, or well, he doesn't plan to, according to the text. Um, The Pharisees say, heal this man. It's the Sabbath. Is it not lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And um, Jesus basically says, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Meaning, it's not permitted to do good on the Sabbath, but it's required to do good on the Sabbath. Right, so, so when the Pharisees approach him and say, hey, heal this man, they're trying to trap him, right? Because they think he either has to break the law or has to not heal the guy. If he does one, he loses the attraction of all of his followers. If he does the other one, he breaks the law. They're putting him in this trap, and he's like, guess what? It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You know how I know? I wrote the law, right? So, so Jesus, he has boundaries around like the Sabbath time. He kept the Sabbath perfectly, and in his keeping perfectly of the Sabbath, we see him practicing good works. Love of God and love of neighbor need to inform how we practice the Sabbath. So from time to time, you may 
come across opportunities to give up part of your day of rest and, or uh, a portion of it or maybe even all of it for a week to, to do something that would either advance the kingdom or do something that would give you uh, a chance to simply serve somebody else who is in need. Now, if you're doing that every single week, you need to enforce some stronger boundaries, right? But there could be opportunity to do good on your Sabbath. And here's the amazing thing. How we practice Sabbath is an area of Christian liberty, which means we're given tremendous flexibility in how we apply it. So we can take the opportunity to do good. So I'd encourage you, like Jesus does, maintain space for doing good on your Sabbath. Number two, weekly Sabbath kills all sorts of sin. So uh, there are these things uh, talked about today called keystone habits. Keystone habits are habits that if you put them in place, they change every other thing about your life. They transform every other thing about your life. So you know what? Sabbath, for Christ, like for, for God's people over time, it's actually like intended to be one of those keystone habits. So you know what Sabbath does? Sabbath kills laziness because you cannot celebrate Sabbath without actually having a life that is full of work right? Uh, so, so some people's lives, some people are thinking like they're trying to live their whole lives as Sabbath, right? But not in the biblical sense of the word, just in the sense of I'm going to stop doing a lot of things, right? And for what it's worth, the sin of my generation and the upcoming generation behind me, the sin that is there, like do you know how many of my peers say, I want to become a millionaire by the time that I'm 30 so that I can retire and not have to work, right? For what it's worth, it's competing the sin of their, the prior generation, which said, I have to work, 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 work all the time and never be happy and never enjoy life, right? But the sin of my generation and the generation coming up behind me is laziness. If we truly practice the Sabbath as God intended, it, it has no space for laziness, uh, number, uh, so, so sin also kills workaholism, right? Sabbath requires us to stop, requires us to remove the activity. Sabbath kills control, right? Because Sabbath requires you to trust that God is going to take care of things even when you're not scrambling to take care of them. Sabbath kills disconnection from God because rightly practiced, Sabbath is meant to increase our connection with God. In fact, connection with God is the priority of Sabbath, right? We don't just take Sabbath to stop. We take it for the purpose of reestablishing and reconnecting and refilling with God. So weekly Sabbath kills all sorts of sin. And then number three, remember, Sabbath is an illustration of the gospel. Jesus came to people who were hoping by some of their own efforts, by some of their own works, by some of their own power that they somehow might be able to squeeze their way into God's favor. And Jesus comes and dies on a cross and gives up his life to eliminate the judgment that stood against those people and says, you are free. You are free, so now you can truly enjoy acceptance and joy and delight and favor with your Father. You're free to do it, right? You can rest. You can be set at ease. When you enter into Jesus, you enter into that rest. Every time we practice Sabbath, we get to tell the story of the gospel and what it is that Jesus has done for us. So church, this morning I'd just like to encourage you. The Sabbath has a lot of value for us, right? It actually shows us a picture of what it is that Jesus has accomplished. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, this morning as we celebrate you, I am grateful that you actually gave us a hope that lied beyond our own works. You gave us a hope that would 
not require anything of us. If it required anything of us, then we would be hopeless to fulfill it. But you came and you said, rest from your works, die to yourself, and come alive to me. So, so you came and you died and you took on yourself the penalty for our lack of love for you and our lack of love for our neighbors. And you extend to us this amazing place of rest with the approval and delight and love of our Father. That's what you accomplished. We can be at rest at all times because you made it possible by taking our judgment upon yourself and giving to us your righteousness, your goodness, your holiness so that we can be welcomed. So that we can be welcomed as children. God, we thank you for these things. We thank you for these gifts. We ask that you would help us to receive the rest that you've earned for us in Christ, but that we would seek to pursue you by implementing the principle of Sabbath, whether it's on short periods of time, whether it's on longer periods of time, whether we are actually able to build into our schedule a whole day. These things are all good, and they all train our souls to rest in you. Equip us for these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.